Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 12 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. He was alarmed by the long trail of blood in the aisle. It reached at least 12 feet long. In the artificial light of the carriage, it almost looked black. As the train pulled away with no emergency stop signal or no way of contacting the driver, it was 20 minutes before it ground to a halt at the next station. A second passenger boarded the carriage. In a state of shock, the two strangers conversed, deciding what to do at the next stop. Whoever had lost such a great deal of blood was severely injured or possibly dead, but there was no sign of them on the train. Janet Maddox got on the 9.02pm train at London Euston, heading to Birmingham New Street. The carriages were old even by 1985 standards. It was going to be a slow journey. 
the eight-carriage train was going to shudder and creak at almost every stop. Sixteen in total. Perhaps Janet did not realise that just a few minutes later, a faster, more modern train was due to arrive at Euston, cutting out numerous stops along the way. Maybe she needed the long journey to decompress after a long day. Janet had separated from her husband, Peter Maddox, but on Wednesday, March 20th, 1985, the pair, still amicable, had spent the entire day together. A friend and neighbour, Anne Sorohan, later told the press that she believed Peter had moved away to work about two and a half years earlier. The couple had managed to keep the relationship going for a year and a half. Anne Sorohan said, About 12 months ago, I saw her saying goodbye to him, and she was in tears. Janet now lived alone in the house they had shared on Institute Road in the Kings Heath district of Birmingham, with her golden retriever dog and her tabby cat. Both Janet and Peter were social workers, and it was their commitment to their careers that ultimately caused the divide in their five-year marriage. Though Janet still wore her wedding band, the second ring she wore for sentimental reasons. The first was given to her by her grandmother when she was younger. Peter was now pursuing his career, about 120 miles away in the town of Kings Lynn in Norfolk. Janet stayed in Birmingham to continue working in her role as a social worker at the local children's hospital. She had been a social worker for many years and had vast experience with difficult family circumstances. The former couple had a reason for meeting that day. They spent the morning visiting a specialist. They had both been in a car accident five years prior and Janet's back was seriously injured. She had endured chronic pain and migraines ever since. The pair decided to make the most of the rest of the day by going out to eat and then seeing a film at the cinema. They watched A Passage to India and went to the pub. After Janet gave Peter some birthday gifts, she saw him off before travelling back to a busy Euston station to get the train home. Janet sat alone in the carriage. The beginning of spring meant it was dark, except for the glaring harsh light from the lampposts shining in through the windows at each and every stop. A faint artificial light poured in through the carriage, enough light to see someone board the train at Milton Keynes Station. Awkwardly, the passenger got on and double-checked with a member of staff. Does this train go to rugby? The staff member replied, yes, as he watched the male pull himself up onto the carriage while trying to manoeuvre through the boxcar with his walking stick and a boombox stereo in his hands. The old-style carriages were not made for ease of boarding. There was a high step that a passenger needed to climb onto by pulling themselves up via handrails on either side of the door. The train then slowly left the station.
The next person to board the carriage was at Coventry. A Mr. Overton got on and closed the doors of the carriage before he noticed something startling. Blood was smeared down the aisle and led back to one of the seats. The dense velour-type fabric was saturated. There was no other sound except the train chugging along, and he could see no one else aboard. The carriage was empty. In what must have seemed like far longer than the 20 minutes it took to get to the next stop, the train came to a halt at Hampton in Arden. Someone else got on. A Mr. Spindler. As the train pulled away from the station, Spindler was faced with the same gruesome sight as the passenger who got on before him. The two men discussed what they should do. As there was so much blood, whoever it belonged to was seriously hurt or probably dead. These were the days before emergency stop signals or a way to contact the driver, so the men had to wait until the next stop, Birmingham International. They immediately alerted a member of staff. Recognising how serious the situation was, the British Transport Police were summoned while the train remained in the station. Someone had seen Janet through the window at Northampton train station. She appeared to be sitting down, but was propped up. What observer would have guessed that was the case? Only three miles out of Northampton train station, Janet was dragged by her ankles to the double doors. At five foot two and slightly built, moving her body would be an easy task for most people. Janet was unable to fight off whoever attacked her. Her injuries later showed that she had tried to defend herself before the culprit stabbed her so forcefully in the neck it severed her spinal cord. She was paralysed instantly. As her attacker pulled her to the doors, the assailant continued stabbing Janet with a weapon. She was powerless to fight back. Janet may have already died by this point. The doors to the carriage were heavy but easy to open, secured with just a latch. Passengers were trusted not to unlock them while the train was in motion. Aided by a rush of night air, the heavy carriage door blew open while the murderer callously pushed Janet Maddock's body out of the moving train and onto the verge below. The British Transport Police were joined by Northamptonshire Detective Superintendent Anthony Buckmaster and Detective Chief Inspector David Jarrett, who were assigned to the case. Knowing that a passenger could be seriously injured or worse, detectives made the decision to slowly retrace the route that Janet's train took as several powerful spotlights were attached to a locomotive as they examined the verge close to the tracks. For a substantial part of the journey, there did not appear to be anything untoward, when approximately three miles from Northampton Station they saw something. A body. 
a woman lying motionless between two rail tracks. A handbag was found close by, with its contents strewn around the scene. Bloody smears covered the inside of a purse. There was no cash inside. Janet's husband Peter would later recall that Janet had in excess of £25 when the two parted ways earlier that evening. In Janet's purse was a photo booth style black and white picture. It appeared to have been taken some years earlier. Then Janet was in her 20s with long straight hair. This was the photo circulated to the press. Furthermore, a big clue to the identification of the victim were letters found in her handbag. The correspondence mentioned both Janet's name and her address. Her body was examined at the scene by a police surgeon, who confirmed the death and made observations about how Janet was found. Her tights and underwear were pulled down by her ankles. Wounds were evident around her groin, and her clothing was saturated in blood. Initially, Janet's name was not released to the public. Over a hundred detectives have been drafted into the hunt. The mystery woman's bloodstained body was found on the London to Birmingham main line, two miles from Althorpe House. Detectives are working on the theory she was attacked soon after it pulled out of Northampton Station, and her body was dumped as it picked up speed. Forensic scientists are still combing their way through one carriage. Detectives say commuters leaving Euston this evening could unknowingly find themselves sitting next to a killer. Janet Maddox's estranged husband and her father both travelled to Kettering Hospital to identify her body. It was also her family's job to confirm whether Janet was missing any personal items when she was found. Her costume jewellery was all intact, but her two rings were missing. She had been wearing them both earlier that day. Janet's cat and dog were collected from her home by the RSPCA. However, there is no public record to indicate whether a friend or family member later rehomed the pets. A post-mortem was carried out on Janet Maddox's body, with a pathologist recording that a brutal stab wound through the left side of her neck would have left her incapacitated. The weapon penetrated her jugular vein, causing extensive blood loss, which was seen throughout the train carriage. Defensive wounds were noted on the back of her arms, which showed Janet try to defend herself while she was able. The damage to her body was significant. There were deep injuries around her groin and thighs. The cause of death was recorded as shock and hemorrhage, in conjunction with penetrating wounds from a sharp object. This evening, police will be quizzing passengers on board Birmingham-bound trains, trying to piece together her last hours and hoping to get a vital new lead. Detective Superintendent Tony Buckmaster, the man heading the murder hunt, says they face a daunting task. Uh, It's most important for this investigation that the movements of the woman up to the time of her death uh, be established 
and we are appealing for any persons who believe they have information uh, concerning her to contact us, uh, and in particular persons who travel that train or who may have been at any of the stations en route between London and Birmingham, uh, who may be able to give us any information. The press dubbed the death of Janet Maddox the Lady in Red Murder. She was wearing a long, deep red coat. A reenactment was set up in an effort to jog the memory of those passengers travelling on the night of March 20th. An amateur actress from Northampton stepped forward to help with the reconstruction. She was noted for her resemblance to the 35-year-old, wearing a very similar outfit to the one Janet wore on the night of the murder. Her hair a shaggy perm, a style popular at the time. A tartan-lined coat. A cream silk blouse and a tweed skirt. Her tights and boots were both maroon. The actress accessorised with two rings similar to the ones Janet always wore. A tan brown coloured bag. A watch. A pair of butterfly earrings. A pink costume necklace. And a scarf. Though the reenactment should have been straightforward, there was an issue which left the actress in tears. A scuffle broke out between the press who were taking photographs and the police who were trying to get the reenactment done in a timely manner. A Northampton woman who bears a remarkable resemblance to the murder victim came forward at the last minute to help in last night's reconstruction. Detective Chief Inspector Jarrett says it was a traumatic ordeal for her. This young lady came forward of her own... uh and it was a very traumatic experience, uh, traumatic in two senses, that A, she had to take the place of the murdered woman and with the tremendous amount of media coverage uh, added to that uh, experience. She stood up to it very well and we're very grateful for her coming forward of her own accord. Um, She felt, even though um, the experience uh, uh, was traumatic, that it was all worthwhile and she hopes that her efforts yesterday evening will help the police lead to the arrest of this man. March 25th. Detective Chief Inspector David Jarrett again addressed the press and voiced his fears the perpetrator, who they believed could be a drifter, was laying low somewhere in the countryside. He said... One theory is that the killer jumped off the train as it slowed down on the approach to a station and is now living rough. We've got a video permanently on display at Euston, uh, Milton Keynes and also at Rugby Railway Station. These have uh, commanded a tremendous uh, public interest and we would hope that commuters, as they travel the line, will look at them and it may well jog their memories and give us further information to enable us to identify the suspect that we desperately need to trace. The British Transport Police and the Northamptonshire Constabulary were working hard trying to find Janet's killer. It did not appear to be anyone she knew, and so officers had to cast a wide net. It was just over 100 miles from Euston Station to Birmingham New Street, and there were stops at various towns, cities and villages. 
The person that ended Janet's life could be living in any one of these places or beyond. However, witnesses had come forward independently and described a similar individual at different points on the journey from Milton Keynes. The young man, possibly in his teens, had long hair and an unkempt appearance wearing dirty jeans. This person was short in stature, seen by staff members at Milton Keynes Station sleeping on a bench and making a nuisance of himself by loudly playing his boombox on the platform. Another sighting was a more haunting one. When arriving at Northampton Station, two stops before the young male's intended destination, two people saw the carriage door open. The youth stood there for a couple of seconds before he decided to go back in. By this time, Janet Maddox had been murdered. The best lead in the case so far has come from a couple who saw a man leaving the murder carriage at Northampton and then change his mind and return to the train. They're still trying to trace that man and a second man believed to come from the Yardley area of Birmingham who reported the blood-soaked carriage to railway staff. They're also still trying to contact passengers on the 902 from Euston on Wednesday night. Head of Northamptonshire CID, Detective Chief Superintendent Peter Thomas was interviewed. He spoke about the money taken from Janet's purse. We now know that uh, she had £25 in her possession when she left London. We have not found that money at all. I have every reason to believe that the money will be bloodstained and uh, of course we would ask people if they come into possession of bloodstained money to retain it and contact us or the local police station. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great 
great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For his part in the murder inquiry, Detective Constable Graham Paul had a tedious but essential job. He was to rifle through over 3,000 train tickets collected from passengers at various stations along the route. Janet's blood loss was considerable, and the attack so ferocious, it was hoped a clue would be found on one of the stubs. In a stroke of luck, the staff at Milton Keynes Station had not disposed of the tickets used on the day of Janet's murder. The ticket that immediately struck the attention of the detective constable was a return from Glasgow to Milton Keynes. Worn and dog-eared, it was covered in something brown, what appeared to be dried blood. And another big clue. It was a child's ticket, paid for with a social services voucher in Glasgow. It was the big break the investigation needed, but could the perpetrator of such a violent act be a child? Investigators travelled to Scotland to find out. Despite nationwide publicity the case has attracted, police are still anxious to speak to anyone they haven't yet seen who travelled on either the 2102 Euston to Birmingham train or who caught the Glasgow Night Rider on the night Janet Maddox met her death. A photo fit was pieced together picturing a person of interest that had been seen time and time again throughout the journey. Several travellers saw a young man with long hair. Aided by a walking stick, he wore dirty clothing and boarded a sleeper train at Rugby, heading to Glasgow. Friday, March 29th. The UK press announced the news that someone was being questioned in relation to the death of Janet Maddox. At this point, the unnamed suspect was reported as being a teenager. Only a day later, it was reported that a male of just 15 years of age was being charged at Northampton's juvenile court for murder. No application for bail was made, and the suspect was remanded in custody until a further hearing on April 3rd. At the time, he could not legally be identified in the press until he turned 16. Once they discovered the bloody ticket which was subsequently sent for forensic analysis. Detectives found it easy to track down a social worker who could trace where and to whom the travel voucher was issued. Investigating officers reviewed the suspect's history through the police in Glasgow. Though the boy had a record and a reputation, he did not particularly stand out compared to some of the youngsters in his area at the time. Following a lead which they considered nothing more than circumstantial, officers found out that a Jack Roy 
matched the distinctive description given by passengers, train staff and witnesses. He was small in stature, had long hair and an unkempt appearance. The Strathclyde police were brought in to help the investigation as officers had knowledge and experience in dealing with the suspect. At the time of his arrest, Jack Roy was living with his father, Jacko, on Shawbridge Street in Glasgow. The police searched his room. Amongst his belongings was a paperback about Charles Manson. Officers decided to take note of its presence, but the true crime book graced hundreds of thousands of bookshelves across the world. However, some substantial evidence was discovered at the home. A bone-handled six-inch lock knife which corresponded with Janet's wounds and clothing that Jack Roy had been seen wearing the day Janet was killed. Although they had been washed since, traces of Janet's blood would later be observed soaked in the fibres. Roy had told his father his clothes were bloody because he got into a fight. Jack Roy had spent his childhood in and out of children's homes and detention centres. Through the years, his time being cared for by the state was bolstered by staying with either one of his parents who had separated when Roy was a toddler. Issues with his behaviour made themselves known when he was young. In primary school, he was hard to control. He exhibited violent tendencies. This did not endear him to the other children in the class. At the tender age of seven, if his account can be believed, according to Jack Roy, his drug use began, and by nine, he found what he felt was his calling, being in a local gang. Then in his teens, he had a few serious brushes with the law. Roy had carried out three violent robberies on pensioners. An officer on the Janet Maddox murder case described a teenager short in stature, but aggressive. The officer said, although only small at five foot four inches, he was a real hard case. Regarding Roy's previous robberies, the officer went on to say, he had ambushed people before with a weapon and robbed them with menaces. Jack Roy was brought down to the police station in Northampton. He had been using a walking stick while recovering from a knee operation. The blood type on Jack Roy's train ticket was a match to Janet Maddox, and the shoe prints in the carriage matched Jack Roy's high-tech baseball-style boots. Within the pattern of the sole, the print even showed a disruption in the swirl, where a stone was lodged in the tread found when Roy was arrested. After he murdered Janet, Jack Roy had continued his journey getting off at Rugby train station, 
Once there, according to Roy, he had time to discard the two rings he had taken from Janet Maddox, throwing them over a wall at the station. It was never confirmed if this were true or not. Despite extensive searches of the area, the rings were never found. They could have been picked up by a passerby, someone who wasn't aware of their importance. Possibly they were sold by Roy, or had he in fact hidden them somewhere? Nobody knows. From where Jack Roy boarded and the place Janet Maddox's body was found, it was roughly 25 miles. This meant he was not alone in the carriage with Janet for long before she was murdered. From rugby, he boarded the all-night sleeper train to Glasgow and struck up a conversation with a fellow passenger. We offered to buy them beer from an onboard refreshment trolley if his new travelling companion would be the one to get them. After all, Roy was not of legal drinking age and would likely be asked for identification. To pay for the drinks, Roy pulled out a note, probably one that he had taken from Janet Maddox's purse. Jack Roy had had to travel to Milton Keynes to attend a bail hearing concerning a burglary charge, but when he got to the court, he discovered the proceedings had been postponed. Therefore, he decided to return to Glasgow earlier than he had planned. Unfortunately, then Janet Maddox and Jack Roy crossed paths. At first, when interviewed by detectives, Roy admitted killing Janet Maddox. However, following his appearance in court, he insisted he was not guilty during a plea and case management hearing. The murder trial was held in December 1985 at Northampton Crown Court, but the jury were dismissed late in the proceedings when the judge was told in a last-minute admission that Jack Roy was now claiming that he was high on drugs and was not aware of what took place on the train that night. The judge told the court, There are legal reasons. I don't propose to go into detail because to do so might prejudice the future trial of this case. A new trial was held at Birmingham Crown Court in January 1986. It was set to last six days. Again, Jack Roy pleaded not guilty. Roy claimed he could not remember the attack or even meeting Janet Maddox. Roy said his drug abuse started at age seven when he began to sniff glue. He then started to smoke cannabis and then moved on to LSD. The jury at Birmingham Crown Court were told that the defendant started to take the drugs regularly a year and a half earlier while living at a children's home in Essex. Roy's LSD use was the basis for his not guilty plea to a charge of murder. Defending Jack Roy, Barrister Rudy Narayan suggested that the LSD robbed his client of the ability to form the intent to kill or even commit serious injury 
which are essential elements to a murder conviction. Narayan said, The only question is, is he guilty of manslaughter or is it really murder? The real killers in this case are the people who let drugs like LSD in the hands of children like Jack Roy. He was only a child of 15 with the simple mind of a child. The mind of Jack Roy when he boarded the train was incapable of forming that specific intent required for a charge of murder. Jack Roy told the court that he was hoping to pick up £350 of LSD in Milton Keynes, a place he was familiar with as he had lived there for a short time with his mother. He thought he had a court date there in relation to an incident where a pensioner was violently mugged and Jack Roy was accused of the crime. He hoped to sell on the LSD for a profit when he got home to Scotland, but Roy told the court that he was unable to get hold of that quantity of drugs and just had two tabs for personal use, which he consumed before he boarded the train to rugby. Roy told the court, I thought I was hallucinating at first. I thought I was just seeing it. He claimed he was hallucinating on the carriage when he disembarked. He noticed blood on his trousers, but he thought this was simply an effect of the LSD. Prosecuting Desmond Fennell QC told the jury how Janet Maddox had been threatened with a knife by Jack Roy, perhaps not long after Roy got on the train. He wanted to rob her, but Janet refused, standing up to confront him. Roy attacked her with a six-inch knife. She at first received defensive lacerations and bruises to the back of her hands and then Roy managed to stab her in the neck so deeply it severed her spinal cord. She was unable to move or fight back. Blood saturated her scarf and her seat, and later the train floor when she was dragged through the carriage. Roy then pulled down her underwear and tights to repeatedly stab Janet around the groin, before tossing her body out of the moving train door like a sack of rubbish. He did not even afford her the dignity of pulling up her clothing before he did so. Under cross-examination, Fennell asked Jack Roy, Who killed Mrs Maddox? Roy replied, It must have been me then. Roy admitted initially telling police his intention was to rob Janet Maddox of her purse. However, his story then changed. He was now claiming he didn't know why he did it. Fennell said, I suggest to you to get out of what you did. You are making up the story about LSD. Jack Roy responded, I don't know. A jury of seven men and five women deliberated for four hours. Following a nearly week-long trial, jurors found Jack Roy guilty of the murder of Janet Maddox. 
As the judge, Mr. Justice Otten, handed down his sentence, he told Jack Roy. The first blow reduced her to a rag doll, and she was paralysed and unable to offer any further resistance. And then you lowered her clothing and deliberately attacked her private parts. I am abundantly satisfied this was an evil and callous killing. You saw Mrs. Maddox alone in that railway carriage and thought she was an easy victim from whom to steal. The jury by their verdict have come to the conclusion you did not take LSD at all, or that if you did consume LSD, you nonetheless formed a specific intent to kill or cause serious bodily harm. Sixteen-year-old Jack Roy was sentenced to be detained at Her Majesty's pleasure, meaning no set length of time was given. Roy would only be released when it was agreed he was safe to return to society. Outwardly, Roy showed no emotion as he was led from the courtroom. Outside Birmingham Crown Court, Jack Roy's father spoke with the press. Jack O'Roy said, I tried everything to get him away from crime, but he just laughed. If he wanted something, he thought it was his right to just take it. He felt he had no future, and the world owed him a living. In mid-August 1989, three and a half years after he was convicted, accompanied by friend and fellow inmate Thomas Gordon, Jack Roy escaped the young offender's institution where he was being held in Dumfries through a hole in the perimeter fence. Thomas Gordon was also considered highly dangerous. Initially he was sentenced for theft and supplying drugs, but a year before the escape, while serving a three-year sentence, he stabbed another prisoner, Mark Mulharan, to death. The public were warned both escapees were dangerous and should not be approached. They were advised due to the overnight wind and rain the two could look bedraggled and could be seeking shelter. The fear was short-lived when both men, then aged 19, were captured just two days after they made their bid for freedom. So where are we now? After serving 19 years behind bars, Jack Roy was released in 2005. He moved to Edinburgh under the supervision of the probation service. Less than a year later, he disappeared, causing panic. A spokesman for the Lothian and Borders Police said, As Jack Roy is now considered as a high risk to members of the public, particularly lone females, we are requesting that anyone with knowledge of his whereabouts do not approach him but contact Lothian and Borders Police. Roy was tracked down less than a week later.
After being released for a second time, Roy moved to Murhouse, a housing estate in the north of Edinburgh, when he again crossed paths with the law after being arrested on Rose Street in central Edinburgh during November 2007. In his possession, he had a small amount of heroin, but when officers carried out a subsequent search of his flat, they found a much larger quantity with the approximate street value of a £1,000. Almost two months later, Jack Roy appeared at Edinburgh Sheriff Court. Robert Fairbarn, defending, revealed his client's motivation. The barrister said, My client was hoping to be able to get his girlfriend an engagement ring. Then he planned to stop his involvement in the supply of drugs. Roy admitted to dealing the drug and was sentenced to one year in prison. Law enforcement knew to search for him after they received a tip-off informing them of his illegal activities. Since his release, Jack Roy has stayed out of the press, but public record does not indicate if he has stayed out of prison. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Andrew Durdy, and everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.